Hello and welcome back to Major League Baseball Talk. Play ball! You got Kilroy, Mongo, and John. Time to talk baseball. Kicking things off with National League Rookie of the Year. Um, odds, kind of. Not really the odds, but who we feel is favored to win the National League Rookie of the Year. Who we are in the corner for winning it, I should say. Um, my hair is a mess because I had a hat on in the episode we were just recording for basketball. And I don't have my baseball hat handy. I'll just wear this hat. It is a baseball hat, but it doesn't go with the team I'm wearing. Anyway, that's how this works here, live. <laughs> All right, John, why don't you kick things off? Because I really um, am bad at, at uh, baseball. So tell okay. us who you got and why you got them. John, John I'm going to interrupt real quick because I, I want to I set the stage here a little bit. Because if you're watching for the first time, you're probably going, uh, hey, guys, it's June. Why the heck are where is this exercise coming from? Um, so Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds got called up and has immediately taken the league by absolute, absolute star power. Um, Bobby Miller also called up by the Dodgers. Um, now, that one was from a little bit more of a place of necessity because the Dodger pitchers can't seem to, to get out of bed without hurting themselves. Um, but he has arguably been even more special um, than Ellie De La Cruz. So uh, the question here, basically, John, is... Either these guys do anything to change your mind or uh, you still got a favorite you've liked all along or has a, a completely new foe entered the arena? What do you got for it? So I still have my favorite going with Corbin Carroll, but I have to give Bobby Melly De La Cruz their props. It just sucks Ellie took a minute to get called up. It makes sense, but with Bobby Miller and the way he's pitching recently, I think there is a chance he can slide into the winning it with the way he's been pitching. Uh, right now he has he has, he already put up a one point four WAR. He is undefeated and he has a sub one ERA in four games. Um, it's really kind of like walks for him, but I still have Corbin Carroll. It's going to be difficult to beat him. He has a three WAR on the season. He has ten whole or thirteen home runs. He's batting over three hundred and he has an almost four hundred on base percentage. And it's looking like he can end up being an All Star very this year. And it's going to be very, very difficult to beat Corbin Carroll in, in this year's NL race, unless like Bob, uh, yeah, Bobby Miller just comes out of nowhere and just keeps performing the way he has. At the end of the day, I, I, I like that decision. And let's, let's kind of just remember the whole narrative here. They changed the rules this year where if teams rewarded a rookie by starting the season opening day in the majors and that player you know, got, got rookie of the year, the team would be rewarded with draft compensation. And so we saw Corbin Carroll and Jordan Walker sort of be the first, uh, you know, test dummies for that. Um, and St. Louis obviously backed off Jordan Walker when they saw the defensive deficiencies, uh, whereas Arizona has kept Corbin Carroll in there no matter what, even in the couple, you know, slumping moments. And we've seen Arizona send young starting pitchers back down you know, most notably Brandon Fatt, who they they clearly want to be successful. So it's clear Arizona is going to run with Corbin Carroll no matter what. So he has a huge statistical advantage, whereas Ellie De La Cruz, yes, I get it. He's off to a hot start, 
But John, see if you agree with me on this. This reminds me of the hype. The last two players I remember getting this much hype were Matt Harvey and Yasiel Puig. And both of those guys, the star faded pretty fast relative to what the hype was. And I think the Reds know they're a few years away and know that they already got a late jump on Rookie of the Year here. If Ellie De La Cruz shows any struggles in July or August, you can imagine a world where he gets sent back down just to get things right. Whereas Corbin Carroll, there is there is no chance. Barring an injury, that guy is playing every day for the rest of the season. And so I think Corbin Carroll just has too much of a mathematical advantage where we know that he is going to be very tough to beat. Um, that is Troy literally on the ones and twos, uh, trying his darndest to get us screwed. If you could please, I have no idea where to I would just close out of everything, just close it all out. We'll hit the reset button. Well done. But anyway, the one guy who I think has a chance by that same argument, John, and you nailed him too, Bobby Miller. He's a pitcher, so he's only missed like eleven or twelve starts. Whereas Ellie De La Cruz is like 100, 120 at-bats behind. So Bobby Miller can still pitch, you know, if the Dodgers choose to keep him up. And that's a big if because we don't know how healthy they're going to get. But if Bobby Miller puts in a whole season, his stats can look comparable to a pitcher who pitched the whole season. Whereas there's really no way Ellie De La Cruz's body of work can look like a whole year. So even though I think De La Cruz deserves the hype, even though I think it's more likely than not he sticks around, the only guy who I think can catch Carroll at this point is a pitcher because his stats can look fuller by virtue of the fact that a pitcher doesn't play all 160 games to begin with. Uh, anything else you guys want to add for the, the rookie of the year? I'm trying to to to, to bring back up my information I had and hope that nothing is again. So That was fantastic. It was weird, uncomfortable, but it's okay. It's the first time it's ever happened. Absolutely. Um, I will say, by the way, just a, a quick note, Jordan Walker got recalled back up here very recently. Um, he had enough offense in the beginning of the year where if he stays up this time, he probably can also make a run at it. Um, I, I think the voters are, I don't want to say smart enough because I don't think that, sorry, voters, but I think the voters will give credit to Carroll for being able to work through any, and I, I say any issues like he had any, I mean, he's occasionally gone into a couple day funk, but he's been pretty darn consistent from day one. Um, but if anyone's going to be able to catch him just on a raw opportunity, it'd be Jordan Walker. All right. On to the top main topic of today's episode, which New York team is in more trouble? Yeah. So, for those of you playing along at home, Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets um, has landed on the IL with a bone bruise and wrist sprain. Could miss between three to four weeks. I think he'll be reevaluated in 10 days. Um, and also, the Yankees, Aaron Judge has a toe injury that is also put him on the 10-day. Uh, he'll be reevaluated after that. So, my question to you guys is, which of these two injuries is the bigger deal? I will say this. I'm torn on this because <laughs> the Mets are just not living up to even close to the expectations we had for them going into the season. This is not something they needed another, inju uh, another injury. Um, I don't know if this, how, how much of a setback this is going to be. This team has just not been playing where they should be. Uh, this may end up just being... Yeah, this team, you know, does what we were they were going to do anyway in those those three to four weeks. Um, and then when he comes back, maybe then that will be more helpful. But the Yankees, 
they typically struggle a lot once Judge isn't in that lineup. Um, and can they really afford to be missing him for a minimum of 10 day games? That's a lot. And and that's the minimum. It could be more. Yeah. So I honestly am leaning more towards it being an issue for the Yankees because they just the team has, has traditionally not been successful with Judge not playing, where the Mets they're used to being a mediocre team and underperforming. Oh, that's a fun way to get to that take. I dig that. So um, ultimately, so that that's my decision. I'm saying the Yankees are in bigger trouble with losing <laughs> for a minimum of ten games. I buy that. And I'm with you. It's, this is not an easy guys. If you haven't figured it out yet, we, we actually, unlike basketball where we just come on and yell at each other for 30 minutes. Um, we actually try and pick good questions here that we try to, you know, stump each other with. And that's really because John is a genius. And so we're not going to waste his time with easy questions. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. This is a, this is a pretty solid question. John, our, our guru, my friend, which way did you go with this? So I went with the Yankees, but I'll touch on the Mets first real quick. So without Pete Alonso, there goes all their extra base hits. They have been bottom of the league in extra base hits recently or for all year. And their pitching has been bad all year. Starting pitching, Max Scherzer has came back a little bit and he's been looking okay. But Verlander is still trying to find his his way through everything. And yes, he he's just been struggling. And then the bullpen, Edwin Diaz, that loss is finally catching up to the Mets. Their bullpen has now been being overused, and losing Edwin Diaz has officially, I would say, hurt them a lot. They don't have that closer to close games. Their closer recently has been struggling, so it's going to suck for them. But on the Yankees standpoint, without Judge, I'm pretty sure they're like 7-10 and 10 with the last time I checked without Judge, and they score at least a one, one and a half runs less than when he's on. So with Judge missing, it's going to be tough because Rizzo's in that giant slump right now. Torres has looked okay. Stanton is coming back from the IL. Their, their star players, when Judge is not there, have not been performing, and it's going to be tough for the Yankees to even get back into their areas. Yeah, I, I'm going to answer this question first the way a normal human answers it, and then I'm going to answer it by going completely off menu. Um, this is tradition. You two, you two are normal because I really do believe the normal people's answer here has, has got to be the Yankees. And it, the answer is really threefold. Um, John, you nailed it first. Statistically, the Yankees just stink without Aaron Judge. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty rough. The numbers don't lie. And the other problem is you look at the Mets. They have a lot of ready-to-go young guys that they can bring up. They already went out and got Luke Voigt today to help – Oh, that was part of my argument I meant to bring up of why it was worse for the Mets. <laughs> because they brought Luke Voigt in. <laughs> but let's assume Luke Voigt doesn't work and they get rid of him in three days like they did to Gary Sanchez, who's now reviving the Padres. More on that later. Um, but the Mets are not afraid and also have plenty of options on how they can try and plug the gap. The Yankees seem determined to just keep fishing into their minor league affiliate and just find the next oh, yeah, I think I had that guy on a dynasty watch in 2015. You know, we got Jake Bowers. We got Billy McKinney. I mean, it's a who's who of, oh, yeah, that guy. And they seem really determined to just put out a really underwhelming lineup until everybody gets back. So aside from the fact that you can certainly see the world where they need Aaron Judge more, they also don't seem that eager to to be eager, which I know sounds weird, but I think you all know what I mean. The last fact to include here is the Yankees can't afford to slip as much. 
Right now, the Mets, or I should say it this way, right now, if the playoffs started today, the Pirates and the Marlins are not only ahead of the Mets, they're in the playoffs. Again, credit where credit's due. Great start for both those teams. I don't buy into either of them quite yet. They're both a couple years away, in my opinion. So there's a world where the Mets can play like 490 ball and still have teams in front of them fall behind them. So they don't have as much pressure, whereas if the Yankees are even playing 500 ball, they could end up fifth in their own division with how good that division is. So the AL is tougher. The Yankee farm system is weaker. You know, it has really has nothing to do with Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso at the end of the day. The Yankees are just in more dire straits. Now, with all that being said, my answer is whoever comes out worse here is if either of these guys lets this injury or if either team lets these injuries affect them moving forward. There's already been talk. There was an, they, it was an anonymous player, but some Yankee already came out and said, maybe Aaron Judge should have just let that ball fall for a double, which is one of the dumbest takes in history. You, you play to win the game. We know that. But, you know, if now all of a sudden Aaron Judge is hesitant going towards the wall or if the team even says, listen, if you even feel the warning track under your feet, give up the double, well, that's going to be detrimental because Aaron Judge's defense is very underrated and he saves runs out there. Conversely, there was an article about, you know, Pete Alonso and all the Mets stand really close to the plate and that's part of their strategy and that's how he got hit by a pitch. If they change that strategy, well, that's one of their secret weapons. So if either of these teams adjust their plan based on these injuries when these guys come back, that will be the real loser. So Yankees, Mets, just get through this as best you can. Yankees, you need it more. Maybe do something instead of just call up the next 28-year-old has-was. But either of these teams, would it would be most behooving to either of them to just get through this and then get back to business as usual. Don't, don't freak out. Tread water as best you can. Get back to the normal plan of letting these two guys carry you to the point. All right. Um, let's move on to the final topic. Still injuries. Injury, but this time it's with a former Met. Oh, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of those in the news. <laughs> uh, Jacob the Groom, Grom. I think I think we did this exact same thing the last time we brought him up on the show. I think the exact it's same because thing happened. It's, it's because it's because I got no no reason. It's because always the bridesmaid, never the groom. Um, anyway. He's out for the rest of the season. Um, yep. Yeah, we buried the lead there by, by accidentally botching his name for the ninth time. It's going to be forever. Um, out, for, out for the season and, and beyond. Right now, he is, he is hoping to be back by the end of 2024. All right. Let me, let me, all right. Now, all right. So here, so here's the thing, please. This is not entirely surprising that he has some sort of season ending injury um, or an injury that was to put him out for an extensive period of time. Mets fans are could tell you all of the times that that happened. Um, it's unfortunate for the Texans, Texas Rangers, Texans, uh, the Texas Rangers, because this was a big signing for them. Um, and was it three, four year deal or something? Five, five possibly year deal. Um, and he was already up there in age when they were getting him. He now has this injury that is typically a two year recovery period. Um, so even when he does come back, there's no, there's no guarantee he's going to be the same right away. And by then he'll be what, 34, 36, 36. If he comes 36. back again next year, he'll be 30. So that's, that's not good. And I, they invested a lot of money in him. Um, and, and, but as you were saying, that was one of the big question marks with this team is, can these guys stay healthy? 
as in this pitching rotation. It was a good pitching rotation, but can they stay healthy? And so far, this is not a good. This is not a good start. You you lost are arguably your best pitcher um, for the season and beyond. Yeah, and and the the problem here, and then we'll get kind of back into our rotation here. But what makes this more dire is that when the Mets were putting up with this the last couple years. Listen, they, we live in New York. Everybody is a contender at all times. No New York team will ever tell you we're not going for it. But New York was not a lock. They weren't in a lock to finish top, you know, to win their division last year. And so you could put up with the Grom's injuries because as a Met fan or as a Met GM or owner or whatever you're sitting there going, all right, so instead of being the four in the playoffs, we'll be the six in the playoffs. We can, we can handle that. But Texas, the way they built this team – with not a whole lot of minor league depth, with not a whole lot of long relieving options, and with five very high ceiling, very rickety boned <laughs> starting pitchers, four of whom have done surprisingly okay to stay healthy, but it wouldn't surprise me to see any of them get injured at any point. This team was built as all in, you know, boomer bust as you can possibly be. And that's what makes this so detrimental because basically they just could not afford this. Now, uh, John, either you or I will touch on kind of what do we, what do we think they do from here. Um, but at the very least, what makes this a story, aside from the fact that he's a great pitcher now out for a while, is that this is a team that really, by all accounts, doesn't really seem to have a ready in place plan B. Um, so I will say this: they they do need to do something. I think that you have to secure some sort of. Um, pitcher even you're, not, you're obviously not gonna get a number one pitcher or, or, or top tier pitcher but someone who can be an innings eater who who is a reliable workhorse type pitcher is what you need for for this team and um i i'm mostly because of my of, of pure ignorance of, of players i don't know who fits that uh, that build um for those of you remembering i'm getting back into baseball these two are have been pretty big fans of baseball um for a long, long time so do forgive me for my ignorance on these, on this. I was I was big into baseball when I was younger, less so when I got older, and now I'm trying to get back into it. So, John, um, who who if you were the GM of the Texas Rangers, who would you be looking to go out and get to secure this uh, this to to refortify this pitching staff, or is that what you would do? Yes. So the first thing I would choose there's two there's two teams in mind that I feel like are about to start selling. And that's the White Sox and the Guardian. Those are the two teams I feel like are going to start selling. I, The reason why I think the Guardians are out of this picture is because Shane Beaver might just be that ace and they might just give him the money they want. But they do have a good pitching farm system and they have some young players who are ready to come up and start pitching the big leagues. And with the White Sox, I feel like, well, it's probably going to happen. Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, and Lance Lynn might all be able to come onto the market. And I don't think they're going to go after Dylan Cease. He's going to cost – Dylan Cease is going to cost a lot. And <laughs> uh, he's going to cost way too much for the Texans or the Rangers to even give them. So I think Lucas Giolito will be the best pitcher for them to even get. He's an innings eater. He'll, he'll have his good games. He'll have his bad games. But – even Lance Lynn, maybe give him a give him a chance outside of Chicago, and he might be good. Other than that, I don't think Shane B is the best choice. There is I don't know who else is really going to start selling pitchers. It really just comes up to All Star break, and once I see who's doing good and who's not, 
then there's going to be a chance of people who's going to start selling everybody. All right, Mongo, what would you do? Yeah, sorry, I was shaking my head because I, I promised at the start of the show I would be able to work off of John's ideas and have my own, and then he just completely stole my thunder. You're absolutely right. Those are those are the two best choices. So I'm going to go rogue with a couple of other options here. Um, don't know if you saw, John, Marcus Stroman sent out one of the nastiest tweets about franchise ever, uh, basically say, basically just airing his dirty laundry that the, the Cubs won't re-sign him. Um, and if that's the case, knowing that the Rangers don't seem to understand what a, a cap is, um, you know, Stroman getting traded to the Rangers and them re-signing him um, certainly does seem to make a lot of sense. Um, other guys who just seem to be lifelongers on bad teams, guys like Herman Marquez, uh, I think makes a ton of sense. Uh, you could probably get him fairly on the cheap. Um, in terms of the White Sox, the only thing I disagree with, I, I would go for the, the biggest name I can get. Um, if I can get Dylan Cease, I'm 100% in on it. Um, even if I can get Shane Bieber, I'm in on it. Uh, we know the Rangers do not care about money. Um, so there's there's no question there that they will pay whoever they get. Um, what does stink, though, is that, you know, DeGrom has really messed up the farm system here now um, because, you know, any of these guys are going to cost you, you know, one of your better names. Um, I would assume, um, especially because he's not gotten off to the greatest start in his career, Jack Leiter is probably getting thrown in to any trade, which really stinks because you're basically just giving up, you know, a top five pick from a few years ago, in addition to then maybe an Owen White or somebody like that. Um, so for a team that's not terribly deep historically anyway, um, you know, Jacob deGrom has really probably put them in a position where they're going to bankrupt themselves and pretty much double down here. It's going to be an all-in team that is now even more all-in. And so it, it stinks, but you don't have a choice. If you're the Rangers, you can't just let this team – um, you can't let it just fizzle out and you definitely cannot just say, oh, we're doing great as is, you know, we can, you know, let's go get like a Chris sale, you know, let's go get, just get an old innings eater, whatever's left because and maybe that's not the best example, but you get my point. You can't just call the nationals and say, give me your number four. You know, you can't do that because we don't know how long Avaldi or how long any of these guys are going to last on their own health, or in Avaldi's case, there's almost no way he can pitch this good. This is unheralded. So they're going to need even more guys after this. So I would try and make a deal earlier. Now, I get it. I'm with you, John. Most of these teams are competitively in it. There are very few teams right now that are completely out of it. So you have to wait a little bit for teams to truly become sellers. But I would act earlier than later because there's a real chance that they need two, three, four starting pitchers you know, and not obviously in their starting five, but, you know, you know, like how the Mets had Seth Lugo basically always there for insurance in case DeGrom DeGromed. Where's the Rangers Seth Lugo in all of this? Go out and get him, you know, go out and then get DeGrom's actual replacement and then go get a guy who you can have in the farm system ready to go. You know, one of these guys who you always hear up oh, injury, that's the next guy called up, you know, they need multiple pitchers here. And so they got to start acting sooner than later. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us this week. Uh, remember, like, share, subscribe, comment down below. If you were the GM of the Texas Rangers, what would you do? I dig that. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Love y'all. Josh Donaldson, six hits this year. 
five home runs. You do you, Josh. Love y'all.